What's up, everybody, and welcome back to the Shoot Your Shot Sports Podcast. After a one-week break, we are back with more NBA playoff talk, big things happening in Major League Baseball, and praise the Lord, football is right around the corner. Episode 11 coming at you right now. What's up, y'all, and welcome back. As many of y'all probably noticed, we didn't do our normal Monday and Thursday episodes this week. Just with everything that was going on in the world, we wanted to be sensitive to that, and so we held off on it. But NBA playoffs are going again. We got Major League Baseball season over halfway done already. Football's coming up real soon, so we're back on the mics. Pete, how you doing? I'm good. Glad to be back here with you. Uh, it's Sunday evening. We're watching the fourth quarter of this Mavs Clippers game. Um, I was kind of getting ready to deliver a eulogy for the Mavs as they were down 23 a few minutes ago, but Luca just hit a shot to pull it within eight. So uh, yeah, we've <laughs> we've got a game again here, but uh, more on that in a little bit. Yeah. So we're going to start off like normal with our Monday episodes with the Monday mailbag with questions from our fans. The first question is going to be from Michael in Atlanta. He says. ESPN gives the Cowboys an 11% chance to win the Super Bowl this year. That's the third highest among NFC teams. Do you think anything is different about this team this year with so many current or former pro bowlers compared to last year's Browns team that many picked to go deep or win it all with a similar roster makeup that finished a disappointing six and 10? <laughs> what you got there? <laughs> well, I like the question. I, I'm not sure I fully understand the Cowboys Browns comparison unless yeah, of course, tough. unless of course, Michael knows that we're Cowboys fans and is trolling us, which is welcome by the way. Every good show needs at least a few good trolls. This is 100%. It has to be a troll job, right? Like, okay. <laughs> Okay, Mike Dog. At least the Cowboys go eight and eight every year. The Browns have not won eight games in a season in thirteen years. So give us a break. Wait, they haven't. They haven't gotten to eight in thirteen. They years? have not gotten to eight in thirteen years. The last time they won eight or more games in a season was in two thousand seven. They went ten and six. So yeah, tough comparison there. That is a tough comparison. And I know that the question is about the Cowboys. I'll get to that in a minute, but I want to start with the Browns. Uh, the Browns did underachieve last year. They've got a very talented roster with Miles Garrett out of Texas A&M, number one overall pick at defensive end, another number one overall pick in Baker Mayfield at quarterback, some stud receivers in Odell Beckham and Jarvis Landry. Um, one big reason I think they underachieved last year is coaching. I mean, they fired Hugh Jackson and then retained Freddie Kitchens, and that's just something that never works. Um, the Cowboys did the same thing, but unfortunately retained that interim head coach for 10 years with Jason Garrett. So um, moving on to the Cowboys, I mean, they finally fired him this past offseason. And even though there wasn't a ton of turnover with the roster, I mean, they lost uh, the number one corner, Byron Jones, in free agency to the Dolphins. They added CeeDee Lamb, wide receiver out of Oklahoma in the draft, who should make an impact, but not a ton of roster changes. Um, it's pretty much the same roster in general, but I expect them to be the beneficiary of a coaching change. 
Uh, they bring in Mike McCarthy, former Super Bowl champion, coach of the Green Bay Packers. And I just think that it's kind of an adult in the room scenario for them. Mm-hmm. I mean, Jason Garrett's this clean cut Princeton grad. Um, a lot of guys kind of express distaste or just not a ton of respect for him over the years. Uh, just kind of a, a Jerry Jones puppet. And now in walks Mike McCarthy. I mean, I'm not going to say he's a top five coach in the league, but he's up there. Um, he's got some pedigree. He's got some experience. So I think that they'll benefit from that. Um, I mean, what do you think about the Cowboys? Yeah, I mean, the the loss of Jason Garrett is uh, addition by subtraction. I think we've been frustrated for years by the fact that we would watch a Cowboys game and things would start to go south and they would like, pan over to Jason Garrett. And he is always standing still speaking to nobody on the sidelines like how could you be a head coach in the nfl and not be talking to anybody not a player not a coordinator nothing like your job is communicating with everybody so yeah i think mike mccarthy is a big deal i mean former super bowl champion with the packers in addition to that i'm not a cowboys fan who thinks that dak prescott is like this elite quarterback but he is better than baker mayfield like statistically he was i think the sixth best or no he's top five last year in qbr he was a top five qbr guy last year i mean that's that's pretty darn good and then third is they have a more manageable group of people than the browns did last year they had a lot of kind of tough personalities to deal with hopefully earl thomas doesn't get injected into that cowboys situation in the near future because that could bring a little bit of volatility (laughs) yeah that uh, that guy's a psychopath yeah exactly but coaching uh quarterback play and personality wise i think the cowboys are better off than the browns right and hopefully the benchmark is not the cleveland browns (laughs) hopefully that's not what you're trying to pass but speaking of benchmarks i mean the the, uh, vegas over under for cowboys wins this year is 10 i mean i think that's pretty appropriate yeah that isn't fair i mean slightly above average that's kind of what they normally do all right let's move on to the next question now this is from thomas mott on instagram He says, which Eastern Conference team do you think matches up best with the Los Angeles Lakers? And before we answer the question, just first of all, I'd like to say I feel very special that a sports guru like Thomas Mott, the host of Ready or Mott on 92.9 The Game, a very prominent radio station in Atlanta, is asking us a sports question. We've made it. Don't you feel honored? Let's go. (laughs) Thank you, Thomas. All right. What do you think about this one? Yeah, so I was sitting here debating this with myself, and I really wanted to take the Celtics, um, but I, I can't do it. I mean, I, as much as I love the Celtics, Jason Tatum has been amazing. I mean, they keep growing on me as a contender in the East, but given the question that it's a matchup with the Lakers, I mean, I have to go with the Bucks. They're the best interior defense in the league. If you have to have somebody down there banging with Anthony Davis, I mean, who better than Giannis, the 6'11", to what 280 freak show he's a beast mvp defensive player of the year i mean i think that he's the only guy that can kind of match up with them um and force the lakers to play outside in and hit some outside shots what do you think yeah i mean it's kind of inherent within this question that he's just assuming that the lakers are going to come out of the west which is far from a guarantee i mean i'm not even sure yet that the lakers are going to come out of the second round because they're about to have a really tough matchup but assuming what you're saying with this question thomas that the lakers do come out of the west and make the finals I mean, I think the Celtics or the Raptors would both give them a tough series as well. But just like you, I'm going with the Bucks. I mean, we've talked multiple times on this show before about how the Bucks are kind of willing to let your role players beat you from the three-point line and kind of pack it in and play really good interior defense. And just with the Lakers' current roster structure, they're not lighting it up from three. I mean, even in these games where they've beaten the, the Blazers recently, I mean, Kyle Kuzma's still not shooting well. Danny Green's been on a really long slump. Like, they're just kind of struggling from the outside. They've got a few different bodies that they can throw at LeBron and AD. And also, Giannis is just a nightmare matchup when he's an offense for anybody. I mean, the two guys who are most physically capable in terms of size and athleticism of guarding Giannis would be LeBron and AD, 
but I don't really think that they want to put those guys in Giannis, one, because they don't want to put get him in foul trouble, and two, because they don't want to wear him down because right now the Lakers are so heavily reliant on those two guys for offense, so I'm just not really sure that they match up well with the Bucks. Okay, so we're both going with the Milwaukee Bucks as the answer to this question, but like you said, it kind of assumes that the Lakers are making out of the West. I'm not sure I'm, I'm going in that direction. <laughs> no, it's of, very unpredictable looking right now. It is. As of right now, I mean, I, I think I like the Clippers still to come out of the West, and then in the East, I don't know. I mean, the Celtics are starting to look really good. Uh, they dominated the Raptors today, so more on that in a bit, but uh, the answer to the question, I guess we're going with the Bucks. We're going with the Bucks. All right, so moving on to our third and final question. This one is from Billy via email. Billy asked, after the 75-yard touchdown to open college football season, what are, what are some of your favorite opening uh, weekend plays slash games in recent memory? Okay, so as far as the question is concerned, game slash plays, the first one that comes to my mind is the 2014 opener for our Georgia Bulldogs against Clemson. There are two plays especially that stand out from that game. The first is that, I don't know if you remember this, were you at this game, by the way? I was not. I actually had this on my list, and I'm a little mad at you that you're going with it. I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> no, it's okay. I'm, I'm joking. But no, I was not at this game because we were in Vegas for Bestecki's bachelor party. Okay, nice. I was at this game, and it was dope. So I remember um, Clemson came out, went up 7 nothing, and then they kicked off, and Todd Gurley brought it back to the house for a touchdown, the kick return. So that was dope. And then the other play I remember is that this game was Nick Chubb and Sony Michelle's first college football game. And I remember Nick Chubb had an awesome touchdown run down the sideline where he broke like three or four tackles and it was legit. The house was rocking that night. It was a lot of fun. We ended up running for like 328 yards and winning 45-21. So that was a good time. Yep. And that's one that I had. Um, it's funny. Yeah. I just mentioned that we were uh, in Vegas for Bestecki's bachelor party and it was August 30th. So I think it was like 115 degrees. Yes. But anyway, yeah, this game, I mean, it was kind of a renewed rivalry. UGA and Clemson, I think used to play every year, huge rivalry in the eighties, kind of had brought it back. Um, Taj Boyd and Clemson had beaten Georgia the year before. So this was a big win that we really needed. Um, it's funny you mentioned Gurley returning the kickoff for a touchdown because one note I had on this game was that Todd Gurley, I think, think had 15 carries for 198 yards and three touchdowns yes he did i mean <laughs> what yeah. a monster performance yeah, exactly so yeah adding the kick return touchdown in there too that's a heck of a game i think what's that like a thousand two hundred total yards for Gurley? <laughs> it's a lot and it's funny because i don't don't know if you remember this part of that game but i kept on being so happy the whole time about who clinton was playing at quarterback do you remember this uh, yeah, because it was not Deshaun. <laughs> yeah, so Deshaun Watson was a freshman on that team, really highly recruited guy. I mean, he's from Georgia, so we all know who he was. And they had Cole Stout in the game the whole time. Deshaun Watson ended up coming in a little bit and throwing like four passes and maybe rushing the ball a couple times. But I mean, the entire time he was in, you're like, this guy's way more dangerous than the guy they've got out there. So I'm glad he's not in the game. And luckily, they never really kind of put him in and <laughs> dogs crushed him. Yes, that was huge. Missing out on Deshaun Watson as a recruit for a Georgia fan that was tough but missing him in the game playing against them that was that was great yeah, we needed that one <laughs> and I also think about last year just experience wise had a pretty dope opening weekend of college football season I got invited by a friend he just told me he had some free tickets to go to the Duke Bama game opening weekend which was at Mercedes-Benz in downtown Atlanta so I was like sure why not I just knew they were free and they were in lower levels so I was like let's go didn't realize till later that they were VIP tickets and we watched the entire first quarter on field level, which was pretty sick to see like Jerry Judy was destroying people that game. Seeing him like up close was pretty fun. And then Bama got a big lead and we went underneath and there were unlimited free food and drinks for the rest of the game. So it was that a checks out. Dub day. 
probably a once in a lifetime experience. So I'm glad you enjoyed it. Yeah. The problem is it's kind of ruined football games now for me. Like when I don't <laughs> have that, it's not quite as fun, but it's okay. I'll live. Fair enough. Well, yeah, I had one more too, and it also involves Alabama. Um, so one thing that I love to look for on opening weekend of college football is ranked out of conference matchups, just because I feel like it's such a tone setter. Uh, it's a big deal. Now, you know, these days it has playoff implications that early in the season, week one. Uh, but going back to 2017, I don't know if you remember this, Lando, but it was the Chick-fil-A kickoff game in Atlanta, week one, uh, first week of September. And it was the number one Alabama Crimson Tide against the number three Florida state seminoles you remember this game i don't remember the specifics of it but that's kind of it's just weird hearing number three florida state so that's kind of where i'm going with this and this was as recently as 2017 wow doesn't that feel like them being in the top five is very distant i feel like they haven't been in the top five since like peter warwick days in like 1999 chris <laughs> winky exactly <laughs> yeah. so so my point here is that this was this huge hyped up game two top five teams um you know heisman potential contender quarterbacks with jalen hurts for bama and deandre francois for florida state so they come out Florida State really struggles offensively. Um, they ultimately lose the game 24 to 7, but you know, not only do they lose, but their Heisman contender quarterback DeAndre Francois tore his ACL during the game. So just an absolute disaster. Wow. Yeah. And you know, opening week, top 5 matchup, so full of hope for the season yeah. and just an absolute nightmare for Florida State. And what I was kind of getting at is it might have ruined their program forever. Yeah, kind of seems <laughs> like it. I mean, yeah. it's funny. Oh, I mean, this isn't funny. It's sad. But thinking back to DeAndre Francois's career, my number one memory of that guy is just him standing back there getting lit up by everybody that guy just took shots like they didn't they didn't block for anybody anybody for that guy it was tough but yeah i love how opening weekend of college football these days which is not how it used to be but these days it's just loaded with these top matchups and it's almost always on labor day weekend so you've got huge games on saturday sunday and recently they've put some on monday so love college football looking forward to it coming up real soon real soon and yeah the monday game i think georgia was supposed to play virginia in atlanta on monday which would would have been awesome mm-hmm. then like oregon and ohio state were supposed to play early or early in the season so we're going to miss out on some uh, really cool out of conference games but we'll be back in 2021 ready to go let's go all right well let's take a turn now let's head on over to the national basketball association we're kind of in the middle of round one and round two of the nba playoffs right now Let's start off by talking a little bit about the Thunder versus the Rockets. I think overall, this has been one of my favorite first round series to watch. Game five, which was on Saturday, which is an absolute blowout despite being really close at halftime. The Thunder just have some really tough matchups going on with the series right now. What are you thinking about it? It's interesting you mentioned that because matchup-wise, it had started to kind of turn in the Thunder's direction a little bit. They went down 2-0 in the series, and then shooting guard Lou Dort came back, became the primary defender on James Harden. They started playing a little bit better uh, and tied the series up at two. So things were looking up. And then in game five, uh, Russell Westbrook back from injury, didn't play very well for the Rockets, but seemed to energize them a little bit. Uh, they came out, shot 19 for 48 from three, that's 40%. So they looked real good. Um, I mean, we're, we're just going to have to see if the uh if the thunder can bounce back in game six yeah matchup wise this is just so intriguing to me i mean you mentioned lou dort when he's out there you can just tell that he's clearly the thunder's best option for defending james harden but he is such a liability on the offensive end that it's hard to tell whether he should be out there i mean believe it or not i mean they leave him wide open he was the leading shot taker for the thunder in game five yes that is if you're going into the game, their coach, Billy Donovan, needs to say before next game, like that is the one thing that cannot happen. Yeah. He shot three for 16, including 0 for 9 from deep. Exactly. I mean, he's 
he's a great defender, but he is he can't do anything offensively. And so the the Rockets are essentially playing with five defenders on four offensive players, which is really tough. And then the other guy that's kind of in a weird spot in this series is Steven Adams. I mean, with the Rockets version of ultra small ball, having five guys at the three-point line, Steven Adams doesn't play any role really in defending the basket because he's out there in the corner guarding a three-point shooter. And then he doesn't punish a smaller defender on the offensive end. He's not the kind of guy that can go down to the block. You feed him in the post. He doesn't have like back to the basket game. I mean, he does get offensive rebounds. I think he had eight offensive rebounds yesterday. So that's valuable. But overall, like, what do you do with Steven Adams in this series? I just don't know with Lou Dort, Steven Adams, exactly what the Thunder are supposed to do. It's it's a tough matchup. Yeah, and I noticed that about Steven Adams uh, in the first couple games of this series as I was being an addictive gambler and looking at player prop bets. Because um, <laughs> Steven Adams, I think his over-under for points plus rebounds was like... 12 or something really low and then as you watch the games you just kind of realize that he's kind of rendered useless defensively because he can't guard anyone i mean if if pj tucker is the biggest guy for the rockets out there and he's standing on the perimeter ready to shoot a three i mean stephen adams can't come out there and defend so yeah it's kind of weird the way the uh the way that they play small ball how they can kind of take some of these opposing big guys out of the game yeah it's it's very interesting i mean I don't know if you heard the stat before that this regular season, there were 153 lineups in the NBA that played at least 150 minutes together. And of those 153 lineups, the lineup of Chris Paul, Shea Gilgis-Alexander, Dennis Schroeder, Danilo Gallinari, and Steven Adams was the best lineup in all of basketball, which kind of blew my mind. They outscored guys by almost 30 points per 100 possessions this season, which is just complete dominance. But with needing Lou Dort in there on defense and Steven <laughs> Adams not being helpful. It's like, I just don't know what you do. Yeah, the, the most efficient three-guard lineup in the league mixed with Lou Dort jacking up crazy shots is not a good combo, I guess. They go together like lamb and tuna fish. <laughs> yeah, not a great combo. Also, in the process of looking up some Steven Adams stats, remember how a couple episodes you dropped uh, Brett Favre's middle name on me? I did. You know what Steven Adams' middle name is? No. Funaki. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Stephen Funaki, Funaki Adams. Adams. That has that to be dope? a family name, I would think. I would think so. I mean, he is a Kiwi, so maybe it's like a cultural thing down there. But having just a super normal Stephen Adams with a Funaki in the middle, is, yeah, that's interesting. Yes, like a guy with the name Stephen Adams, very generic. And didn't he go to Pitt? He did. Played college basketball at Pittsburgh, which is funny, by the way. Yeah, Funaki, that, that's way out of left yeah, field. didn't see that one coming. Just to remind the people, Brett Favre's middle name is Lorenzo, so that that's just ridiculous. That'll throw you off guard. And so now moving on from the Thunder and Rockets, um, the winner of that series in the second round will play the Los Angeles Lakers, who just defeated the Portland Trailblazers 4-1 to in the first round after going down 1-0. Uh, people started to bury them, including us. I mean, we were somewhat tongue-in-cheek. Uh, we joked about the fact that the Lakers-Blazers series we had a bet on whether it would go over or under six games um, you had over I had under um, and we were saying that if the Blazers ended up winning in five that means I win it was you know halfway joking but anyway the Lakers are moving on what you think about this one yeah that one turned around in a hurry classic overreaction on our part after game one there but yeah Lakers won four in a row after losing game one I mean, we kind of all knew this series was over after game four when the Lakers went up three to one. And then Damian Lillard got hurt, had a knee injury, went home from the bubble. So the writing was on the wall after that. The Blazers still put up a really good fight, but we kind of knew they were completely outclassed. And so the Lakers won in five, winning their first playoff series since 2012. LeBron 
also extended his personal streak and is now 14 and 0 in his career in the first round. So that's pretty cool. I mean, LeBron had a triple double with 36, 10, and 10. Anthony Davis had 43 and 9. Really excited to see what this matchup's going to be, whether it's the Rockets or the Thunder. Either way, I'm going to be excited to watch it. Me too. And before we kind of move past this Lakers Blazers series, I think it's really funny. Uh, you know Nick Wright of ESPN. Have mm-hmm. you been seeing what he said over this past week? I saw week? something, but I forgot what it was. Tell me. <laughs> it's it's pretty funny because it, it calls out a lot of his colleagues on what they were saying about this series, and it you know halfway includes us about what we said after Game One. But it's just like he was basically saying that the story two weeks ago when the Blazers got the eight seed, beat the Grizzlies, and whoever else out for the eight seed was that they were one of the most dangerous eight seeds that the NBA has ever seen. And you fast forward to the end of the series and it's the team was under 500. They never even deserved to be there. Of <laughs> yeah. course, the Lakers beat the crap out of them. It's funny though, because in sports, in the sports talk world, that happens all the time. That is exactly what goes on and you just kind of forget about it. But yeah, that's it's kind of nonsense a lot of the time. Right. It's like you're trying to create a storyline and then in hindsight, you're like, that was never really there. Yeah, yeah I'm <laughs> with you. Yeah, the, the Lakers just kind of smoked them in four straight and Nick Wright kind of went on to say like, if you're going to beat a LeBron James team in the playoffs, you've got to have three, maybe four, like hands down Hall of Famers. So <laughs> I'm not sure that the Blazers were quite there yet. Yeah, I mean, the teams historically that have knocked LeBron out of the playoffs are the Warriors when they were loaded, the Celtics when they were loaded, the Spurs when they were loaded. I mean, all all of those teams had at least three Hall of Famers. You're right. So yeah, not exactly a bunch of scrubs he's losing to. Yep. So moral of the story is stop being stupid and assuming that LeBron is going to lose to these 35 and 39 teams. Yeah. But anyway, let's let's move forward to the other team in Los Angeles, the Clippers. Um, they just took down the Mavs a few minutes ago uh, to win that series in six games. Lando, what did you think of this one? Well, it's funny how much has gone down since last time we recorded an episode in this series. I mean, we've had all kinds of drama on and off the court. We had Luka with an incredible 40-point triple-double, including a game-winning buzzer beater. We had the Luka and Montrez Harrell incident. We had the highs and lows of Paul George going from uh, playoff P to pandemic P and then hopefully back. We then had Marcus Morris stepping on Luka's ankle, which may or may not have been intentional. And then today we had Marcus Morris just destroy the side of Luka's head and get ejected. So it's been a wild series. Yes, there's been a lot of crazy things to happen in this series. And I was going to say, this is one of my favorite like first round series I can remember in a really long time. I mean, there are, mm-hmm. like you said, a lot of highs and lows, a lot of really cool moment, moments when it kind of peaked with that Luka buzzer beater to tie it up at 2-2 in game four. And then also um, another storyline that kind of came out that we were talking about the other day is remember how we figured out that uh, guard for the Mavs, Steph Curry or Seth Curry mm-hmm. is married to Clippers coach Doc Rivers' daughter. Yes. And we saw it, it was Seth Curry kind of like talking a little bit of shit to uh, Paul George, mm-hmm. Pandemic P. And we started looking into why. And it's because his wife, uh, Doc Rivers' daughter, used to date Playoff P, Pandemic P. And I guess he allegedly broke it off because he had cheated on her with a stripper in Miami. Yes, and gotten her pregnant. Like, oh, really? Yeah. yeah. Oh, wow. Not great. Like, Turn up the heat. This is a very underrated drama story. <laughs> I can't believe on. I'd never heard this before. This was no. like a couple years ago, I think. The amount of levels to this drama is crazy. Like, I cannot believe there's not some sort of network trying to pick this up. Like, there's, there's a lot going on in here. I mean, I can't imagine... Paul George, or sorry, Doc Rivers having to coach Paul George after he did that to his daughter and coach against Seth Curry. It's just a, it's a weird situation. Yeah. A lot of weird storylines there. A lot of uh, like behind the scenes action going on. So glad we got to enjoy that. I wish it could have gone seven games, but uh, what can you do? 
Yeah, I mean, the Clippers have a really good shot at making a run at the finals. Even though the Mavs lost, I mean, if you're a Mavs fan or in the Mavs organization, you've got to be really excited about your future. They've got a very bright future with obviously Luka Doncic at the helm. The one thing that's kind of putting a damper on their feelings right now is that Kristaps Porzingis is showing once again that he's made of paper mache. (laughs) And uh, if he can't get healthy, then they're lacking a number two guy and have a lot left to build on that roster. We'll kind of see what they do this offseason. I'm hoping they can add some guys. I think a lot of free agents are going to want to come to Dallas and play with Luka, but we'll see what they do. Right, and they have been, you know, a, a decent uh, free agent destination in years past. I mean, we'll see if uh, Cuban and, and Rick Carlisle can convince some guys to come there. But you mentioned Chris Dapps and his his injury history, and with him tying up a lot of money, it, it might be, you know, kind of tough for them to build something. But a lot of foundational pieces there, especially with Luca. Um, so end of the the story with this series is, I guess Seth Curry got the girl, but but Paul George gets to move forward in the playoffs. He does. Everyone's a winner in some way. Right. Everyone's a loser too, but yeah. Yeah, exactly. So uh, Clippers moving on and they will play the winner of Nuggets Jazz. Uh, game six of that series is tonight, Sunday night. Um, been kind of a historic series so far. Orlando, what you seeing here? Yeah, I mean, this has been an epic duel between Donovan Mitchell and Jamal Murray. I was watching one of these games the other day and at halftime, Kenny Smith was making a really good point on TNT that I kind of agree with. He was talking about how in normal circumstances, all these young guys like Donovan Mitchell and Jamal Murray and Luka, Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, all of them just go home in the offseason and add new skills and gain more knowledge. And they come back significantly better than they were in the previous season. But he was talking about how that's already happening right now. Like all these guys went home for three and a half months. And so they did those things and they are already the next version of themselves. And that's really showing right now with how amazing some of these guys, particularly Donovan Mitchell and Jamal Murray have been. Right. And you mentioned them kind of going home during the whole peak of the pandemic and working on their game, getting better, basically doing the exact opposite of whatever Ben Simmons was probably doing during (laughs) that time. But anyway, yeah, some of the history from this is um, Donovan Mitchell joined a list of only Michael Jordan and Allen Iverson. Those three are now the only three players to have two 50 plus point games in the same playoff series. Wow. That's a list. Very impressive. And then uh, Donovan Mitchell and Jamal Murray became the first two players or opposing players ever to score 50 in the same playoff game. So you had kind of mentioned a few episodes ago about the NBA playoffs in general, just kind of being this platform for budding stars to take that next step. And we're seeing that from those two guys, uh, Donovan Mitchell and Jamal Murray, as well as, you know, Jason Tatum and others. So it's been a great series. We'll, we'll see how it goes in game six tonight. Yeah, we've got a lot of guys kind of making that leap right now that I am already so pumped for next season. Um, really interested to see, like you said, how the game goes tonight. But um, let's move on now to the Bucks and Heat in the Eastern Conference. The Bucks broomed the uh, Orlando Magic after game one, similar to what the Lakers did against the Blazers. I saw this cool stat that Giannis in that series became the first player in NBA history to average 35 points, 15 rebounds, five assists, and shoot at least 55% from the field in a playoff series. <laughs> it's a little big league stat, I know, but it's pretty dope. Like that's that's a really good series i mean yeah those are those are sick numbers and i know that you're really excited about this series yes. not just because you love the heat you know the flamethrower duncan robinson tyler hero they can shoot from outside um it's an interesting matchup we we mentioned the bucks interior defense earlier the way to beat them is by you know shooting threes uh, knocking those down and then playing defense and that's what the heat do yeah it's going to be really interesting to see how the bucks choose to defend the heat like I already said it earlier in this episode, how they like to kind of 
guard your star players, defend the basket, and let your role players take threes and they'll live or die with that. But the Heat are weird in that their two best players are not really three-point threats at all. Like Jimmy Butler has kind of regressed over the last few years in that regard. He doesn't shoot him much at all. He's very reluctant to shoot the reason anymore. And when he does, he's not shooting him at a high percentage. Bam out of bio is not a three-point threat. It's all the role players that are good. Duncan Robinson and Tyler Hero and Goran Dragic has been turning it up recently. He had a really, really good first round. So I'm really interested to see kind of what they choose to do in guarding them. Right. And the Heat are going to have to hit threes. I mean, Jimmy Butler has picked it up in the playoffs. He's shooting better from the outside than he did in the regular season. So we'll see if he can keep that up into the second round against the Bucks because they're really going to need his scoring. But um, yeah, it's going to be a really good series. I know some people are, you know, kind of starting to pick the Heat as an, as an upset pick here. Yeah. One thing that I like on the other end of the floor is that the Heat actually have probably more guys than most teams that they can throw at Giannis who are big and athletic enough to defend him. I'm sure that Jimmy Butler is going to get a run. Bam out of bio, Jay Crowder, Andre Iguodala is going to get some shots at him. I mean, that's a few guys. You didn't even mention the best one. Duncan Robinson, don't say that. <laughs> no, I was going to say Kelly Olynyk. Oh, uh, yeah, Kelly Olynyk. Well, that, I mean, that's my bold prediction for this series. Two weeks from now, Kelly Olynyk's new nickname will be the Giannis Stopper. Oh, my gosh. Well, Kelly Olynyk was the Kevin Love Stopper a few years ago when he decided to dislocate his shoulder and knock don't him out sleep. for the playoffs. Yeah, what if, what if he puts Giannis in an armbar game one? I mean, series over. I feel like Giannis, look, I mean, he looks indestructible, so I'm not sure how that would go. But um, maybe Kelly Olynyk's got some weapons hidden under his shorts or something. <laughs> maybe. You never know. I mean, he kind of looks like a guy who might have nunchucks in his shorts. Speaking of which, I had a, this is completely unrelated. I had a patient that I discharged at work the other day. And as a going away gift, like a thank you gift, he gave me nunchucks. No, <laughs> yes. you're lying. I don't believe you. I have a picture on my phone. I don't believe Gosh. you. I'll bring him home next time. <laughs> Was your patient Dwight Schrute? I wish. That would be sick. That would be electric. I need to start giving more people nunchucks as gifts. I need to remember that when uh, Christmas season rolls around. It's almost time already. Let's go. It is. All right. So let's do the last bit of uh, NBA playoffs. The Eastern Conference last series we need to talk about is Celtics-Raptors. Uh, game one of the second round happened today. What did you think about that one? Yeah, it was kind of a weird game. It was not what I expected going into it. The Celtics were in complete control the entire time, ended up winning 112-94, had a really balanced attack today. Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, Kemba Walker, and Marcus Smart all finished between with between 17 and 21 points. Um, Raptors just didn't look very good. I mean, they had, like I guess, like a full week off. They just looked rusty, didn't shoot the ball well at all. I think they went 10 for 40 from three, and Pascal Siakam got three early fouls. He had three fouls in the first quarter, so his minutes got thrown off, the rotation got thrown off. I don't anticipate that being indicative of what the rest of the series will look like, but a big game one for the Celtics. Huge game one for the Celts to take that one, and we'll see how the Raptors look moving forward. I mean, it's hard to tell sometimes whether one team just didn't play well or the other team forced them to not play well. Yeah. I think, including today, the Celtics are now 4-1 and one against the Raptors this year, so maybe that's just not a good matchup for them. But anyway, going back to the Raps, I mean, we have praised them and the way that they play defense and the way that you know Nick Nurse, coach of the year, draws up his schemes. Um, but today it was the Celtics who played good defense. I mean, they held the Raptors to 37% shooting from the field, mm-hmm. 25% from from three. Uh, the Raptors leading scorer today was Serge Ibaka with 15 off the bench. Yeah. I mean, if that can't happen or they're, they're in big trouble. Yeah, that was locked down. I mean, both of these teams are really good defensive teams in the regular season. They were second and fourth in the NBA in terms of defensive efficiency. So I'm probably going to be some relatively low scoring games. I'm not sure that really exists in the NBA anymore. I mean, 112 to 94 is about as low scoring as it gets, but uh, yeah, lots of good defense going on. Yep. And you know, I'm a huge overreactions guy. I love to overreact to things. So 
my thought right now about the Boston Celtics is, I mean, what if this is the very beginning of them going from this young up and coming team to someone that people really take seriously as a contender to win the title this year? I mean, I'm taking them seriously. Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum are really good. And Kemba Walker is what he is. I mean, he's not evolving like they are because they're still so young. But I mean, this is a really, really good team. And they've shown in the front office for the past, I don't know, like five to eight years that they're just really well run. They're good at loading up on assets. They had a ton of top draft picks. They make good trades. I mean, this could be a, uh, I don't want to say dynasty, but a really good team who makes a long run of being a good team in the future. Yeah, you mentioned their general manager, Danny Ainge. I mean, he's he's been there for a while. He knows the franchise. He played for them back in the 80s and won some titles. Um, but yeah, they just, they've proven this kind of cutthroat style, the way that they traded Isaiah Thomas after he came like this, became like this little folk legend there with mm-hmm. the IT time in the fourth quarter um, and got Kyrie. Now he's out of town, replaced him with Kemba. I mean, they just, they know how to draft young talent. They know how to recruit free agents. Um, keep an eye on it. That's another Giannis destination next year. Yeah, but it's a well-run team. They're very scary. So I just mentioned that Nick Nurse, coach of the Toronto Raptors, officially won the Coach of the Year Award for the NBA this year. The way the NBA does these awards where they just kind of sporadically announce them during the playoffs, I don't know if I really like it. (laughs) It really annoys me. It's like, just tell me who won the freaking awards. But I think the only other one that they've announced so far is Giannis, who won Defensive Player of the Year. Mm -hmm. Um, It was really just between him and Anthony Davis. What'd you think of that? Yeah, I mean, it's pretty incredible, especially since we already know that he's going to win most valuable player. There's very few guys who've done that. I mean, that's pretty amazing. He's he's such a stud. He's only 25. I cannot believe that. I know. And, and real quick, one last question I have for you before we kind of wrap up NBA and move on to something else. I saw a question from the Ringer NBA's um, Twitter account the other day, and it was asking if you were starting up an NBA franchise today for the next 10 years, who were the three players that you'd want to start with? And I want to preface that by saying, I think that the first two are incredibly obvious. Yeah, I was about to say, I have two that come up, come to the top of my head right away. Right. So those Giannis and Luca. Yeah, Giannis and Luca. I mean, they're MVP caliber players probably. I mean, Giannis, you can make an argument he's the best player in the league. Luca, I think we said maybe top seven, top eight right now, could be in the top three by next year. Uh, who's your third guy? For the next 10 years, you said? Yep. So you got to factor in age. Mm, that's really tough. I mean, I feel like with longevity becoming more of a thing as far as guys being able to play later into their careers, I mean, aren't some of these guys that are already established a possibility? I mean, Anthony Davis is still only 27. I mean, he's got, he's got at least like six or seven really good years left in him. Yeah, that's I mean, you option. can go with AD if you think he'd hold up over 10 years. Uh, yeah, I probably don't want to go with him. Probably go with someone a little bit younger. I'm a huge Devin Booker guy. Okay. Big Devin Booker guy. I mean, I think he's underrated as a passer, great scorer. That team's up and coming. I mean, I like him. I think that's a pretty good uh, three three man combo. Okay, I, I actually thought you were gonna uh, say the same guy as me. I'm, I would go Jason Tatum. Yeah. I mean, I think he's what 21, 22 years old. He's already getting a lot better. He averaged twenty five points a game this year. Um, and I think that I'm kind of factoring in positions that they play. You know, Giannis is more of a five. Luca effectively plays point guard. So I'm, I'm just thinking somebody that can be a three and D guy, guard the perimeter, shoot yeah. threes. That's a great question. I mean. There's a lot of good young players, like you've been saying. Ton, tons of young talent in the NBA right now. Yeah, and I'm going to post that on Instagram. I'm curious to hear what people think and if they uh, you know, have a different answer than Booker or Tatum, and let's talk. Let's see what they got. All right, let's switch on over now to Major League Baseball. 
it's kind of weird because we've got some teams who have played like 34 games and are over halfway through the season. Other teams like the Cardinals are well under halfway through the season. But either way, we're making some progress in Major League Baseball. One of the big stories right now is that the Tampa Bay Rays are on absolute fire. Got a five-game winning streak and a four-game lead over the Yankees in the AL East, who are once again getting completely decimated by injuries. I'm not sure exactly what's going on there. What have you been seeing in that division race? It's, it's been interesting. You mentioned the Rays are on a five-game winning streak. I mean, I'm pretty sure they won like nine straight and then lost two and then won five mm-hmm. more. So they've just been on an absolute tear. Um, they are kind of locked in for, I think, the number one seed in the AL. So yeah, I, I think that they're uh, they're pretty loaded and you were high on them coming into the season. So they, unlike the Cincinnati Reds, are making you look smart. <laughs> yeah, you win some, you lose some. The Reds suck. But yeah, you mentioned uh, their playoff seeding. I think it's interesting that seven of the eight American League playoff teams are basically already locked in and have been for like a week now. I don't know if you've ever ever looked at the Major League Baseball standings on ESPN, but over to the far right at all times, they have a little playoff percentage thing about what the percentage are, percentages are for every team to make the playoffs. And for the last week or so, there are already seven teams in the American League with a 97% chance or above of making the playoffs. Like they're already they're already locked in. That's pretty crazy. So it's really just a battle for the eight seed in, in the American League. It is weird how fast they've separated because in a normal, you know, longer season, that doesn't happen. So for in this short of a season, teams to pull away like that is pretty crazy. But um, yeah, you look at the standings, you look at the NL and the Dodgers are the best team in baseball in terms of win percentage at 714. And the next four are in the American League. Mm-hmm. You got the Rays, the Twins, the A's, shout out Oakland Mats, and the Chicago White Sox. Um, the Yankees were on that list a week ago until they lost seven straight. But um, yeah, I mean, it's uh, it's loaded in the AL. Yeah, you mentioned those three AL Central teams. That has now become the best division race in all of baseball. Going into Saturday, the Twins, Indians, and White Sox were in a three-way tie at 20-12 and 12 for first place in the AL Central. So that's just going to be cool to watch down the stretch. I mean, seeding is a big deal this year. You, you'd rather play the eight seed than the whatever the six seed. I mean, that's a big difference. It is. And you look at the White Sox. They're a team that's surging right now. We talked about them having a lot of young talent in the lineup. And now they've got uh, their ace, Lucas Giolito, coming on real strong. He threw the first no-hitter of 2020 last week. So they're uh, they're getting hot. Yeah, Lucas Giolito is a cool story. Two years ago, in 2018, he had the highest ERA, the worst ERA in Major League Baseball of out of all qualified pitchers. And then he throws a no-hitter. Had a dominant year last year. I mean, cool story. Cool turnaround for that guy. Yeah, and I just want to ask you a question real quick because I think it's kind of funny. Um, But Lucas Giolito last week threw this no-hitter against the Pittsburgh Pirates, um, and I was just kind of thinking about it. Like, if you gave me a month to train with a pitching coach, I don't know if I could no-hit them, but I could probably throw like a complete game two-hitter against the Pirates. (laughs) I might walk a few guys, give up a few runs if they decide to play small ball, but... Yeah, their lineup is not great. Ever since uh, Roberto Clemente and Andrew McCutcheon left, I mean, they've, they've <laughs> struggled. That's actually hilarious you say that because I was going to say the question I'm getting to is now that you're not playing fantasy baseball, so you're not really getting granular with this stuff, how many Pirates players can you name? <laughs> not enough. I'm embarrassed. Jordy Mercer? <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, I, I don't even know if that's right. Yeah, I mean, Starling Marte's gone. I can name a lot of guys who have left their team in the last couple of years. Josh Bell. Josh Bell's one. Josh Bell can hit. Yeah, they're, they, they suck. It's, <laughs> they're, it's a rough squad. They're so bad. I think they had like four wins as of a few days ago. 
four? <laughs> no, I think I'm making that up, but like imagine if they did. Yeah, they're there's not a great team. Yeah. They're awful. A lot of us could probably uh get a get a W against the Pittsburgh Pirates right now. <laughs> yeah, and then something to uh continue to watch um on the trade deadline, which is tomorrow, um, specifically mentioning uh, the division we're talking about, the AL Central. What have you seen there? Yeah, I mean, it's kind of interesting this year. We talked before about how the trade deadline trade deadline is going to be different this year as far as teams not necessarily being sure whether they were buyers and sellers this early in the year. But I I think we're wrong on that one. I was wrong on that. There are some teams that are clearly sellers. And even though there's not a ton of big names out there, I think there's still going to be some pieces that make a difference in the playoffs. I mean, thinking back to last year, a guy like Howie Kendrick getting traded to the Nationals at the deadline made a huge difference. That guy went on an awesome run in the playoffs and was a key contributor to the World Series win. I'm thinking of guys on the Angels like Angelton Simmons, who if he gets traded to somebody with that defense and he's got a solid bat, like even though they're not huge superstars, guys in that realm can make big differences in playoff runs. They really can. And some of the bigger names I've heard mentioned being floated around in trade talks are, of course, Indians pitchers, Mike Clevenger and Zach Plesak, um, you know, after what was it a month ago they went out of in chicago yeah. got in big trouble with the team um, they did not get welcomed back into the clubhouse so they're just kind of like awkwardly walking around with their their scarlet letters around the indians who do not want them back so they're in the gulag right now <laughs> yeah they are yeah they are um they're probably going to get traded one way or another um and i i think i saw a rumor today that mike clevenger uh, was getting looked at by the white Sox. how mm-hmm. does that make sense aren't they competing with each other for the division yeah that's very strange i mean yeah, I have no idea why that would be the case. I guess maybe they think they can get the most back from them, but I don't know. I guess. And then a couple more names worth mentioning. The Texas Rangers, who have you know quickly fallen out of contention, are considering trading Lance Lynn, ace for them. He's you know in Cy Young contention right now. And then uh, star outfielder Joey Gallo, guy hits bombs. So those are a couple guys that could really help out a contending club right now. Yeah, and there's a bunch of other kind of smaller names that are just going to be contributing pieces to teams. Um, Braves picked up Tommy Malone. I saw that Trevor Rosenthal got traded to the Padres just to get a little bit more bullpen help. I think Dylan Bundy's name has been floating around a little bit. So a few guys that aren't, like I was saying, aren't stars, but can contribute to a team and provide some depth going into the playoffs. And that's going to wrap it up for our Major League Baseball talk. P, what you got on some NFL news? So the Jacksonville Jaguars have traded star defensive end Yannick Ngakwe to the Minnesota Vikings for a second round pick in 2021 and a conditional fifth round pick. You look at the Jags and the history over the last few years, they were playing in the AFC championship game in 2017 against the New England Patriots, a game they arguably should have won uh, despite you know a couple questionable calls. But fast forward three short years later, they had six pro bowlers on that 2017 defense. All six of them are gone. Wow. Yeah, it's crazy. In the NFL, with the way that salary cap is structured, windows are tight. I mean, it just goes to show you, this is completely unrelated, but the Patriots, the fact that they were be able they were able to be so good for 20 years is insane. Like, it's just so hard to do. The Jaguars are a prime example of that. Like, windows open and shut in the NFL in a hurry because when guys get good, they then go and get paid. And it's just hard to hold on to your good players for very long. Right. Yeah, absolutely tragic for the Jags, but they are on track to be by far the worst team in the NFL this year. Presumably, uh, will be in position to draft Trevor Lawrence or whoever they choose with the number one overall pick next year. So maybe the future looks bright for them in some ways, but pretty tragic. Yeah, I mean, they're doing what you got to do when you're when you're not going to compete. You load up on draft assets and, and see what you can do. 
Yep. Tank for Trevor. Go Jags. But uh, yeah, speaking of um, athletes that are currently in college football, um, Jamar Chase, wide receiver out of LSU, decided that he will opt out of this season and prepare for the 2021 NFL draft. What you think, Lando? Yeah, I mean, that's big news. I was looking back when I heard that news today at his numbers from last year, and I'm just like reminded at what a complete movie the LSU offense was. Unreal. What is that? He had 1,700 yards and 20 touchdowns in college football. That's not a long season. Like, that's incredible. That's insane. So, yeah, yeah. Blitnikoff Award winner going to be a top draft pick. So, Good for him, but uh, completely understand his decision. And he was one of three receivers on the team that had like similar numbers. I mean, Joe Burrow threw 60 tutties and the other 40 had to go to other guys. That is unbelievable. Yeah, insane. You just mentioned his yards and touchdown numbers. He had 84 catches and they averaged 21.2 yards per catch. Oh my gosh. Just absolutely insane. So from his perspective, I understand why, you know, that kind of season is the last thing he wants to put on tape. I don't blame him. Nope. Yeah. Don't risk injury. Don't risk sickness. I mean, I would do the exact same thing if I were in his situation. So good for you, Jamar Chase. Good for you, Jamar. And so last bit of not necessarily news, but just football talk. We're trying something a little bit new this year in terms of fantasy football. So we wanted to, you know, fill you guys in um, in case it's something that you think sounds fun and would be interested in future years. Um, Landon, do you want to talk a little bit about Guillotine League? Yes, we're playing in what is known as a Guillotine League. So we've got 17 guys in this league, meaning 17 teams. And the way it's structured is you do not play head to head against somebody else. You just compare all of your points to every other team's points. And every week, the last place team gets eliminated. So after week one, the worst team will get eliminated and you will go into week two with only 16 teams remaining all the way until there's only one team left. Right. But the main kicker, you about to say it. No, you got it. Okay. The main kicker here is that the team that gets eliminated each week, all of their players are dropped and become free agents. And we have a $1,000 budget for the season to pick up free agents. So there's going to be a lot of kind of crazy strategy involved. One of my favorite parts about this is that none of us know what we're doing. Like none of us have done this before. So it's complete testing out process. So we'll see how it goes. Right. There's no precedent for this. None of the you know so-called experts like Matthew Berry write about it. So there's not a whole lot to go read and research into. Um, so we'll see how it goes. I just, I have my fingers crossed. I really hope I'm not the first one out. Yeah, that would be tough. It's going to be really interesting. Like we're in the middle of the draft right now. And these teams in week one with a 17 team league are not going to be great. Like we're going to be pretty thin. And if you have any injuries early in the season, you could be in trouble and be forced to use a lot of your budget. So I don't really know. I'm going to be making it up as I go along. Right. I mean, the silver lining, and this is what I'm already telling myself preparing for the worst, is that if I get eliminated week one, it'll just allow me to have other time to uh, focus on my other leagues. This is very true. Yeah. All right, y'all. Well, we appreciate you listening as always. Thank you so much. Don't forget if you want us to answer your Monday mailbag questions, you can always send us a message on Instagram or email us at sysmailbag at gmail.com. That's sysmailbag at gmail.com. Hopefully we're going to be back on track now. Keep on coming with our Monday and Thursday episodes. Hope to see y'all soon. Have a good day.